All right, here we go. We're talking about the holiness of God. Last week, I shared that God's holiness means he's consistent, means you can count on him, that there is no wavering with him. There is no shadow of turning with him, meaning he's perfect. He always bats a thousand. He's always going to strike you out if he's a pitcher. We use different examples. There is no faltering with him, including his love. If he's holy and perfectly consistent, then his love is perfectly consistent. If he says he loves you, you can trust it. There's nothing you can do to have him love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to have him love you any less. His love is perfect. And I just want to expound on that. I want to tell you that the gospel message was in fact that. You say, what is the gospel message? We talk about that a lot. The gospel message literally means good news. Not just any good news, but good news from the battlefield. This was made popular by, by the uh, Roman Empire where they would ask for good news from the battlefield. They said, give me the gospel. Now they used to rout people and trample over them and conquer everywhere they went. And so they were used to getting good news. And Jesus comes and says, let me tell you the good news from the battlefield. The battlefield for your soul, the battlefield for, these, for the lives of men and women on earth. I have conquered death. I have conquered the enemy. He has no longer have a hold on you. Death cannot dictate to you. You are free. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. You are free indeed. And so, so the gospel message is literally that God loves you and that he loves you with an everlasting love, that there's nothing you can do to have him stop loving you in his perfect, awesome, consistent, holy way. Now, this is the gospel of grace. We talked about God's love last week, and I won't re-preach the message, but I said God's love is, is two-dimensional, so to speak. It has two sides. It has a mercy side and it has a grace side. The mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. So he doesn't give you hell, though we deserve it, and he gives us heaven, though we don't deserve it. God's grace and mercy act together to remind us of how much he loves us. Now, this gospel message began to spread like wildfire, and people were grabbing hold of it, and the early church began to grow by leaps and bounds, and it made the, uh, the, the, the Roman Empire nervous, and so the, the uh, emperors at the time tried to set Christians on fire, feed them to the lions, throw them in the gladiator pits, but nothing they could do could quench the message of hope that had been sparked by Jesus Christ. Jesus came to share how much God loves you. The Bible says it plainly, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His one and only son, that whosoever, see God is a loving, giving God. He did not hold back his most prized possession, but instead he loved you enough to have him hang on the cross and bear your sins. To bear your sins. Why did he have to die? Because God is not just loving, he's perfectly just. It meets his holiness. He is holy and perfectly righteous. And, and he could not just forgive us our sins. Jesus Christ had to pay the price for us. He stood in the place. He was our substitute. He was our ransom, our propitiation. He was our savior. 
and is our Savior. And so this gospel message begins to grow. Satan decided I can't come against it because the more I come against it, it's like, it's like pouring gas on a wildfire. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Instead, he decided to infiltrate the church. He decided to try to institutionalize it. And so the gospel of grace, mercy, and God's awesome love and and how much he cares for us and how it never ends and how, how you can trust it, it was replaced by ceremony. It was replaced by tradition, by rituals. It was replaced by an order, an institutional order, more concerned with the politics of the day and grabbing power and control. If we could grab power, now you know anything about power and control, you know there's something they use to grab power and control, and that's money. If you have money, then you get power. If you have money, then you get control. And so it began, it, it began as something beautiful with, with 12 very ordinary guys that spread the gospel message throughout, and then now it's the elite. It's the ones that... that, that that are all about pomp and, 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 the, and the garb of, of, of showing that there's something special. You know, you can see how holy I am by how tall my hat is. You can see how holy I am by the, the whiteness of my robes and all of the splendor and the ornate way that we do things. And you can see how holy we are by the bigger the cathedral is and how massive the edifice in the building is. When God said, I will build my church, he didn't mean a physical building. He meant a spiritual building of believers coming together, one heart, one mind. But yet it began to be replaced by the ceremony, tradition, rituals. If you want money, you've got you to fabricate ways to make money. And so it became a business. And they started peddling relics. You say, what's a relic? A relic is an artifact said to have spiritual significance because of who it's attached to. And they said, well, we have certain body parts of certain uh, apostles or certain body parts of certain individuals that were somebody in the kingdom of God. And so if you have this pinky, if you have this ear, if you have this bone, if you have this foot, if you have these, these different parts, then you can come and pay to look at them and you can pay extra to touch them and, and hopefully they'll give you some healing. And that's what we're telling you because we want to what? We want you to pay for it. And so you really know something has gone awry when you have, you know, the hand of a certain apostle and it's traveling around and because it has so much draw, you decide that you found uh, uh, 40 more hands of that same apostle because you want to have them in different spots. What I'm trying to tell you is there's something wrong. Or how about the most... The, the one that really got my attention was the, the relic where they said they had Mary's breast milk. Now, I don't want you to be offended. My grandmother was Catholic. This is not about bashing the Catholic church. This is about talking about a very dark age in all of our history. That's why they called it the Dark Ages. And I want you to stay with me because some of you are looking for a reason to be offended. 
All you have to understand is this, is humans are humans are humans. And when money, control, politics are involved, it always goes this way. Why do you think Jesus had to come? But why do you think the gospel message is so important and what's preached in this word and nothing else? This word is what gives life. Now stay with me on this because these relics also led to what's called indulgences. And so you would pay for the, to see the relics, you would pay for indulgences, meaning you could go and you could sin and you could get a free, a get out of jail free card, meaning you pay ahead of time for your sin or I committed this sin, will you pay, you pay to get absolved from it? And it, that'd be pretty cool. Man, I want to go do whatever I want to do. How much is it going to cost me? That's crazy. But, but it also, they, they created this, this concept of purgatory that's nowhere found in God's word, but it's necessary because what we want is for you to pay to get grandma out of purgatory and move her, kind of bump her up to heaven, and it's going to cost you a few thousand dollars. And so everyone would save to get grandma out, and then you go to, to Grandpa Louie, and then you, you go from Grandpa Louie to Uncle Joey, and then, you know, Aunt Susie. And cousin so-and-so, well, guess what? He's just going to get stuck because we're done paying or we don't have enough money. And, and I'm making light of it, but I want you to think, where did this come from? It came from control because the more we can get from, we got to find a way to make this a business. Not like Brother Kenneth said, give what God, do what God puts on your heart. And so, it went from relics to, to people, men, who were transcribing the word of God. Now, I want you to think about this. Why would they only read in Latin? Isn't that crazy? Nobody read Latin. was a dying language. They, they did it in Latin because it was a way to control. You don't want to give the people the word of God because then they might know for themselves. Let me tell you what the Bible says. And every once in a while, you'd have a monk or someone that would begin to read because they were transcribing and go, well, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what the Apostle Paul said. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Holy Spirit is sharing with me. And so this light would go off in their heart and they would stand up and the Catholic Church would come against them and kill them. And so you're talking about not just hundreds. You're not talking about thousands. You're talking about tens of thousands of martyrs who paid the price so that you could have this word so that I could have this word, so that the modern church could have this word. Even the, the Catholic church today could give thanks to the martyrs. Because even, we've all improved and come out of those dark ages because people gave their lives and one of those people was John Whitecliffe. How many of you know who John Whitecliffe was? He was a man who said, why is it in Latin? I think I'm going to translate it into English. And do you know they put him to death? Because listen to this. Because he dared to translate the Holy Scripture into the barbarian language of English. That's our language. It was a barbarian language. And he thought, I just want the people to know how much God loves them. 
And so they buried him thinking they would be done with him. And his movement just began to grow because how many of you know God's word says my, void, my word never comes back void? Meaning, once my word goes out, it will have its effect. It will begin to, 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 to turn in the hearts of men. It will bring hope. It will, it will bring faith. It will explode with its love. And so it began to spread, and they got so angry that they had not been able to snuff him out that 44 years after they had killed him and buried him, they dug him up. Think about this for a second. How many of you will be remembered by more than just your family four years after you're gone? How about 14 years? How about 24 years? But 44 years, his impact was so immense because of God's word. They dug him up and they, and they crushed his bones. I told first service, I feel like Dr. Rob, and they crushed his bones. And then they burned him, or maybe they burned him and then they crushed his bones. I don't know which one was what, but they did both. And they thought in their, in their brilliance, they thought, we're getting rid of him forever. And any trace of him, so they threw him in the river. They throw him in the river, who leads into the ocean that spreads around the world. And today the Bible is being, uh, uh, by the Whitcliffe Institute, is being translated into every language in every country around the world. God's word. Isn't that amazing? I'm talking about the Protestant Reformation. You say, what, 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 what do you mean the Protestant Reformation? No, listen. Protestant literally meant protestante which means to protest. They said, this is not right. Come on, Christians, when was the last time you protested for the truth of the gospel message? When was the last time you said, give me the scripture, give me the holy gospel or I die? Well, let's not get radical now, Pastor. <laughs> you know, hey, wait a minute here. But that's what they want. They wanted the people to know how much God loves him. And so this led to a man named John Huss. He was a Czech theologian and he began to preach the gospel message and Rome came down and they burned him at the stake and while he was burning, he began to prophesy and he prophesied that you may quiet me and you may kill me, but in a hundred years, God will raise up a man with fire in his belly who you will not be able to quiet. And literally a hundred years later, Martin Luther came about. He was almost killed by lightning. He made a deal with God. Lord, if you save my life from this lightning and thunderstorm, I will serve you. He had been training to be an attorney and against his father's uh, better judgment and wishes, he left being an attorney. He left law school. He left his practice and he started being a priest. And while he was there transcribing the word of God, something began to stir up in him. He decided to go to take a pilgrimage to Rome. The way you got there in those days, you walked. So him and a buddy walked all the way to Rome. While in Rome, he, he partook of the Santa Scalia, which means the the, the holy steps that, that are there in Rome that is said Jesus walked 
and, and, and on his way up to meet with Pilate there in Rome, he walked them. And so now this is a holy place where Catholics will, well, not just Catholics, but Christians will, will go on their knees all the way up the steps. Now, I don't know if you meet God, but you definitely get bloody knees. <laughs> there he was asking that God would give him something and God gave him this little verse that said, the just shall live by faith. What does it mean, the just shall live by faith? Well, he didn't know what it meant either, but it began to bounce around in his head, and while he was at Rome, he was very disillusioned with what he saw, that it wasn't meeting up with what he was reading. See, he was educated in Latin, he could read the scriptures, and he, was, he set out to what? Translate the scriptures into Germany, to, into German, excuse me, to translate the scriptures, and, and this, this little phrase, the just shall live by faith, that, that first appears in the book of Habakkuk, and then appears in the book of Romans, and then appears in the book of Galatians, and then appears in the book of what? Hebrews, began to really get to him. Listen, what does the just shall live by faith mean? Well, it means when you have faith, you have, God gives you life, and he pronounces you just, so it's the way of salvation. It's the gate into salvation. Jesus says you must enter through the narrow gate. The just shall live by faith. When I profess my faith in Jesus Christ, I am saved through gra by grace, through faith. Now watch this. But it also means that once you're saved, because you are now justified and considered righteous, you should live a faith-filled lifestyle. And he's going, something's going on here in our church. We need to change some things. And so he begins to protest. He becomes a protestante. He begins to protest and it's not long before the Catholic church catches wind and they try to quiet him. But before they could quiet him, he takes 95 statements of protest that he nails to the church door there in his hometown. And you think that this was a grand day where the whole thing started and sparked up. It wasn't until, it wasn't until the Gutenberg um, printing press was invented. And when the printing press was invented, they decided for some unknown reason to take his 95 theses and print it. Can I tell you that was God? Can I tell you that was God? They could have printed anything, but they chose to print Martin Luther's 95 theses. And then people began to read it and he began to write sermons and they began to read it. Now, I need you to understand something. The Catholic church did not act quick enough to kill him. So they ended up with a real problem on their hands because what do you know about German people? I'm not German, by the way. So I have to be careful what I say about others. But what I have noticed, any Germans in the room? I wanna know where it's coming from. Okay, what I have noticed is that you guys are not a laid back kind of people. You're not an easy kind of run me over type of individuals. You're, you, they're, they're they're tough. They can be obstinate. Heck, they, they're responsible for two world wars. <laughs> two! This, did you know Martin Luther was German? So can you imagine? They get around in the pub at the end of the day, and the guys that are educated go, hey, have you seen this thing that they printed? 
And the guys that can't read have the guys that can read begin to read it in the pub as they're drinking. And the more they drink, the more they say, what? I can't believe it. So you have now a support group rallying around Martin Luther that is not passive and laid back and willing to let things go. They're militant. They're ready to do something we've been lied to. You mean God loves us and we've been told that he hates us, that he can't stand us, that it's all about what the, I knew something was wrong with this whole thing. And the charade was up because he began to get God's word in the hands of the people. And so they send down what's called a papal bull, meaning you need to get your act together and recount everything that you've said. He said, I stand by every single word because it's founded on the word of God. I will not recount. I will not take it back. And he burns it in protest. Now he's got a huge problem because the whole nation begins to rise up in protest. So then they send out a lawyer deciding they're gonna put him on trial. He says, I'll, I'll stand trial here in my hometown, but you need to accuse me by God's word. I don't care what this Pope says. I don't care what that person says. I don't care what any of you say. You charge me with God's word. How dare he? So they excommunicate him and the rest is history. I could tell you more, I'll tell you more next week, but right now what I wanna tell you is, it all started with this little phrase, the just shall live by faith. What do you mean we'll live by faith? Where does this faith come from? Well, it comes from the idea, read with me in Romans 5, chapter 17 through 19, for it is by one's offense that death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying very openly, hey, through Adam, death came, but through Jesus, there is life. There is life. And he says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all. That means we were judged, we were condemned, we were dead because of Adam. You might say, that's unfair. Before you say that's unfair, let me show you how fair God is. He says, through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, but by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. What does it mean to be made righteous? You are considered just, not guilty. That's not fair. That one man could save all of us. But God is telling you, my grace isn't about fairness. My grace is about my love. And so if you accept Jesus, you are considered what? Just, righteous, not guilty. How do you accept Jesus? By faith. The just shall live. Okay, by faith, you get eternal life and you're considered just. But now that you're saved and you've walked through the narrow gate, you must stay on the narrow path. So the statement has two meanings. It's how you get saved by faith, you get life, and you're considered justice. But now that you're saved, watch this, you should live faithfully. You should live faithfully. And so this begins to come alive in Martin Luther's life, and, and he begins to understand what 
Paul was saying in the book of Romans as he starts off the book with this concept in chapter one, verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes, who has faith. Anyone who puts their faith in Christ for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. You will live eternally through your faith. It's in your faith. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait a minute, pastor. What are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you the same thing Paul told the Galatian church. It's not about how good you can be. It's not about how many prayers you do. It's not about any of those things. It's about faith. Paul says to the Galatian church, who has bewitched you? That they would have you begin to think that you could earn your way to heaven. It's a gift. You can't earn it. All right, what, 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 what do I mean? Okay, listen. When Jesus first revealed himself as Messiah, he was in his hometown. And watch what he says. For he came to Nazareth, Luke 4, where he had been brought up. So he comes back to his hometown and watch what he does. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up and he began to read from the prophet Isaiah in the scroll. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written and he read these words. For the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach gospel to the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Watch this. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Stay with me. To proclaim liberty to the captives to, and to tell them that recovery of the sight of the blind is here. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book. Do you know that's not all the prophet said in that passage? Anyone familiar with that passage? I know Arthur is because he read it on, on Wednesday night. It says... He goes on, the prophet Isaiah goes on to talk about, listen to me very closely, he goes on to talk about the vengeance, the dreadful day of the Lord. Why did Jesus close it shy of that? Because what he was saying is exactly what he says in a little verse you may not be very familiar with. It's kind of an obscure verse, John 3.16. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. This is what Jesus came to say. Even as he was reading from the prophet Isaiah, I came to seek, to save, to set captives free, to make the blind see, to heal the brokenhearted. I came to be a blessing of God's love. I didn't come to preach condemnation. I know this is making some of you uncomfortable because you still have some of the dark ages in you. And we still need to continue the Reformation. See, the Reformation, you need to be comfortable with the fact that Jesus said it himself. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that means anyone, anyone, I don't care what they've done. I don't care if you think they're too bad that they can never make it. I don't care what you think. Jesus is the one doing the saving, not you and me. Thanks. 
Glory be to God. Because if it was up to me, some of you jokers wouldn't be in. I'm just being honest, right? Well, not you, but some that have left. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Look, for God did not, what? Send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send his son to condemn the world. And what is he doing? He read it when he read Isaiah. He stopped short of condemnation. He said, nope, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to save. Now, I know the church likes to talk about condemnation because sometimes when we try to make the gospel message our own, we think we're not good enough because we, we have that shame and guilt because we have not stepped in faith. We're not living in faith. We're not believing what God's word said. And so if we feel it, we want you to feel it. So therefore, I'm gonna make you understand that you haven't quite made it yet. I want you to feel a little pressure like I feel pressure. Because if I lower you, then I feel better. I'm better than Josh. Look, I lowered that punk. Oh, I love him, though. I love him. I pray for you, Josh. This is what he's saying. Look, look, for I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Jesus is saying, everybody's already condemned. Why do I need to condemn them? I came to show them how to not be condemned. No, stay with me on this. We're gonna keep reading. So you say to yourself, well, well, if I'm not condemned, then, then what's the problem? No, no, I need you to really get it because Romans says the same thing. And Romans says in chapter eight, verses one through two, listen to this. There is therefore, come on, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I am free. I am free if I'm in Jesus. Anyone in Jesus here? Okay. See, grace is not accessed by effort. I think sometimes we, we mix it up and we think, because we still have a little bit of the dark ages in us, that, that we have to work our way into God's good grace, and we're always fluctuating. Oh, man, today I feel like God, I'm good with God. And tomorrow, oh, I'm not so good with God. And so people come up and say, hey, brother, can you pray for me? And you're like, oh, I don't know if I can pray today. This wasn't such a good day. But then some days we feel like, man, I got the juice today because I've been good. Think about that with me for a second. You ever gone to God and you just felt like, Lord, I just realized, man, I'm pretty down right now and it's not me, God. I know that it's all you, so will you please, God, just, I just believe you can, and I know you can, but it's not my righteousness, it's your righteousness, and boom, it happens, and God is going, because you stumbled onto the truth of my word, that it's not you, it's never been you, it's always been my son, it's how much he loves you, he loves you. And you don't have to be feeling like you're in and out, in and out, and some days you're better than others, and it's not about that. It's about how much he loves you. So it's not by human effort. You say, what do you mean it's not by human effort? Well, watch what Romans says. He says, but if it is by grace, that means God's unmerited favor, it is no longer on the basis of what you do or your works. It's not. 
Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It would be what? It would be work. It would be a merit. It would be a payment. That's what God is saying. He said, well, then, then, then wait a minute. If I can't work for it, then how do I get this grace that God is offering? Well, the book of Ephesians tells us, he says, not for by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. Here we go. The just shall live by faith. See, when you trust God, when you trust God, then you get life and you are considered just. You are considered the righteousness of Christ and that's something you didn't deserve. Just be okay with that. I didn't deserve it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I didn't deserve it. So watch, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that you cannot brag in anyone's presence about it. So stay with me. It's not by effort. It's not by obedience. It's not by doing right. You're saying, whoa, 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 time out, pastor. You mean God doesn't care about, I'm not saying that. I'm pouring a foundation. And the foundation of true Christian living cannot be about your effort, about your obedience, cannot be about you and what you bring to the table. It has to be about how awesome God's love is. And because he is perfectly holy and consistent, he doesn't change in his love for you. He loves you. Be okay with that. It will change your whole psyche and the way you approach life. Because when I tell my son, I can just see it in in today's world. When I tell my son how much I love him and care for him, it works a heck of a lot more than if I say, I'm disappointed in you. You're sorry. You're no good. You know what? You're this short of being, losing my love. And so God is telling you openly, I love you with an everlasting love. It's not by effort, obedience, doing right. It's about grace through faith. It's about grace through faith. It's about grace through faith. Can you write that down? It's about grace through faith. See, this will get rid of the fear that manipulates us. What do you mean fear? You got to stop feeling fearful that somehow you're going to fall out of God's grace or that somehow God's not going to listen to your prayers or that somehow you've blown it or that somehow, you know, you're kind of on the, on the outs, but somebody else is on the in. God loves you as much as he loves me because he's perfect. His, his love is perfect. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Fear. See, fear has to do with our insecurity and our insecurity has to do with our limits. I'm insecure when I think I'm not enough. I'm insecure when I don't have enough money. I'm insecure when I don't have enough strength. I'm insecure whenever I consider myself. But listen to what God says about this thing called fear. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, I'm just laying groundwork. Next week, we're going to unpack this in a major way. Watch this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in him. Now, I want you to circle the word believe. The word believe is faith. When we, when we become aware of God's love, we love him because he has made us aware of how much he loves us. That's why the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. 
He loved us enough to enter time and space and to make himself known. And once we know that, then we can choose to have faith, believe, or not believe it. But when we believe it, then we enter into that love. For by grace, that's God's love. For by grace, you have been saved through belief, through faith. Watch this. So when you believe, you enter into God's love. And when you abide in God's love, he's going to tell you the benefit of it. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, that you can stand boldly and say, I am the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, I have nothing to be fearful of because I am just, I am righteous, I am not guilty. You know, it's interesting. I haven't used the Baylor Bears at all this year. Some of y'all are going, oh, listen, it's not going to be about that. It's going to be about this. We went through a horrible scandal and we have a new coach and the new coach called his dad to come help him. His dad is an ex-Baptist missionary. He's retired. He said, dad, I need you to come. These boys need your help. He said, what's going on, son? He said, all the guys that are in the program are innocent. They're good kids. But I've never seen, all the bad ones are gone. The good ones remain. And we have new ones that are good. But I've never seen a group of kids that are so innocent but feel so guilty. I need your help with the gospel message to help them realize they need to let go of that shame. You cannot operate at your full capacity when you're holding on to guilt and shame. The enemy knows it, and that'll take you into the dark ages of a personal nature. God is trying to tell you, you're free. Trust my love. Believe me when I tell you. Listen to what he says here. You can have boldness because as he is, who is he? As Jesus is, so are you. So are we. So am I. If I have put my faith in Christ, the just shall live by faith. When I believe, then his love, his grace washes me white as snow. I am, I am made just. I am not guilty, and I have life eternally. Not only that, but now that I believe God and I'm already saved, I am justified and this is the way I should live from now on by faith, trusting him. If his word said it, I believe it. If his spirit convicts me, I do it. I no longer live, but it's him who lives in me. For I am a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and that's me. That's me. Come on, how many of you believe that? It sets you free. Watch how it sets you free. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. When you believe that God loves you, it will begin to raise up in you such a confidence. Think about it. If you were to think, literally feel that at the depth of who you are, the king of all glory loves me. We start teaching that to our children. They won't want to go out and drink and, and do stupid things because God loves them. 
and sleep around. They won't want to go out and do any of those things. I think the reason why we do so much stupid is because we have daddy issues. And we don't know that God loves us. And we can be rid of those insecurities because if God be for me, who can be against me? It'll quiet the enemy from manipulating you and telling you that, well, God doesn't love you. See, see you might be thinking, well, well, then where does obedience fit in? Obedience is the fruit, not the root. The root is faith, receiving God's grace. That's the root, God's grace through faith. And then you, it grows up into a beautiful, fruit-bearing Christian. See, some of us are trying to earn it. And we're planting obedience in the ground. And God is saying, no, no. Obedience is the fruit. When you love me and I love you and our love comes alive. See, when you know God loves you, you can trust him. I trust you, God. I trust you. You say to be honest, I'm going to be honest. I know it's a tough thing and it may not go my way, but I trust you. Next week, we'll talk about Joseph. And we'll bring it full circle. So this is how I end as the, as the prayer partners come up and the worship team comes up. May the Holy Spirit touch your heart this morning. May he reveal to you the vastness and greatness of God's love. Ephesians Chapter three says that. May you get a glimpse of how wide, how high, how deep, how long God's love is for you. It is the power that you need to live this faith-filled, full life that Christ came to give us. Now, I wanna ask you this. Is there anyone here that needs to receive God's forgiveness. Once and for all, truly believe it. Because you've been in a, in a type of dark ages where the enemy is keeping you from God's best by telling you that, that you should be fearful of shame and, and guilt and things that you've done that maybe disappointed God and he just keeps holding that over you and it's time to believe God and to say, May this be the day that you say, yes, Lord, I stand in faith. I believe that you love me, that you forgave my sins before I even did them. All I have to do is receive it through faith. Today I receive. Now, once you feel God's forgiveness, I need you to forgive yourself. So this so may this be the day you forgive yourself as well. I'm not going to pray for you. I don't want you to feel that I'm brokering God's love. I want you to pray for you. I've been doing this here for a while now. I want you to pray for you. I want you to go to God and say, Lord, I received this message. Make it come alive in my heart. Talk to the Holy Spirit right now. These guys are here to pray with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, 
Is there anyone here that can say with a hand held high, Lord, today I believe that you love me and I let go of shame and guilt. Would you raise your hand? Wow. Now between you and God, begin to have a conversation and I'm gonna ask some of you to come pray about it with one of, your, one of these prayer partners, men with men and women with women. But don't let anything hold you back. Let this be the day that things change. Pray what the Holy Spirit has put in your heart. I love you, church. The altar is open. Thank you.